And it, uh, it's somewhat uh, grieving to me that we're on the tail end of the book, the letter to the Church of Philippi. We've been in it for some time. And I have to tell you that uh, God has done some cool things in my life as I've studied, prepared, and, um, and um, I hope he's done some cool things in you as well. Because that's what it's all about. So your notes, uh, pull them up. Those of you in the auditorium, you should have them. I, as you can see, I already filled my blanks in. Notice we have all empty blanks today, right? All empty blanks. I know that's a little challenging for some of you, but trust me, the words will be up on the screen. You'll be able to um, uh, fill in those blanks like I did. In 1987... A group of engineers, entrepreneurs, earth scientists set out to build an artificial ecosystem in Oracle, Arizona. And uh, that's what it looks like. It's a biosphere, too. That's what it was called and encompassed over three acres, making it the largest closed system ever created. Um, it was designed as the ideal ecosystem for plant life to thrive. The climate-controlled environment, the included purified air, clean water, nutrient-rich soil, and natural light. Despite what seemed to be perfect conditions, something curious kept happening in that environment. The trees that were planted would grow to a certain height, and then they would just fall over. They died. And after some head scratching, the scientists finally figured out what was missing. The biosphere lacked a critical component for growth. And in their natural habitat, trees are buffeted by wind resistance, aren't they? By growing stronger bark and deeper roots. And without adversity, trees decay, man. They just self-destruct. Kind of like we humans. Yes. One of the mistakes we make as parents, as even leaders, we try to do everything in our power to create emotional and relational and spiritual biospheres. You know? We see that a lot with parents today. You call them helicopter parents. I'm tempted to go off on a trail there, but I'm not. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to bite the bullet and press on. We minimize discomfort and we sidestep sacrifice. We do our best. And we wonder why so many seem to be falling out in life. They kind of crash and burn It's kind of like seeds planted in rocky soil. They lack the root system to sustain growth. And you can see that tree. Maybe you already saw it. This dude, man, you'd say that's a a fighting tree, right? He's hanging on. He's got a good root system to keep him from crashing and burning. And that's what we need uh, as well in our culture today. Listen, you don't have to go out of your way to look for resistance in the world, do you? No, it's right there. Uh, you'll find it. 
But here's the deal. When you encounter an obstacle in life, when you encounter pushback, uh, think of it as God is building fortitude in you. It's a good thing. Just like that perfect artificial ecosystem in Arizona, uh, things don't grow well there because it's perfect. And we live in a broken world. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So he gave us a heads up on that. We, Yes, we live in a broken world. But he's going to be with us every step of the way. In James 1, 2, and 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James, the the, uh, half-brother to Jesus, wrote that. He learned from experience, watching even his half-brother Jesus go through life and the pushback. So let's take a look at Philippians 4, starting at verse 20. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul writes, Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today the opportunity we have to read it, to listen to it, to apply it to our lives. And this morning, Lord, as we have already heard, um, that when your word is taught, we either move closer to you or farther away. Because when the gospel is presented, nothing happens. It's one way or the other. And Lord, we don't want to come in and leave this building the same way. We want to be changed. We want to give you permission to work, to speak. Lord, that we would become more like you. We thank you for that opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. All Christians are connected to the body of Christ. Paul, in this closing paragraph, highlights that. We are interconnected. Uh, Not only do we belong to Christ, but we belong to his body, which puts great worth and value on your life if you have put your faith in Christ. Romans 12, 5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. Aren't you happy about that? Hmm? You're not happy about that. It's good to be connected because we were not created to be lone rangers. And I think many of us saw the effects of COVID, what it can do to not only an individual, but to a culture. You were meant to support the body of Christ, to participate in it. I've been walking through the book of John, and it's... um, Stuff has been jumping out at me. And uh, once again, reading through the New Testament, it seems like there's a, and there is a consistent theme that we should love one another. 
You know, we need to love one another. Why? Because we're part of the body of Christ. We're all interconnected. In John 17, Jesus is praying, verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So, so what Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not only praying for the dudes down here with me right now, but I'm praying for every follower of Christ that comes behind them, even in 2022. That's what he's saying here. That's you and me. He's praying for you. That should fire us up, man. Jesus is praying for you. You know how you're encouraged when somebody says, man, I've been praying for you, what that means. But imagine you're knowing that Jesus is praying for you all the time. That's good news. And I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. God loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. That's what, that's what Jesus just said there. And this is where... Many followers of Christ fall off the rails. They think, man, that isn't possible because I know me. I don't even love me. How could God love me, right? And so Jesus is saying, you love them as much as you love me. That is so encouraging. Verse 26, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So we see this incredible relationship in the Godhead, the Trinity. We sang about that. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That was an updated version, but (laughs) that's what we sang about, the Trinity, right? And um, and so Paul is, is moving uh, into this last paragraph, and he's reflecting um, on his time, this letter that he's been writing. And uh, so we go to number one, and that is sing praise to your God. I you know we hit this last week, but we, uh, we didn't get through it all, so we want to um, just tie the knot. Okay? Verse two. You guys could talk to me, by the way. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, so, sing praise to your God. Verse 20, now all glory to God our Father forever and ever, amen. And verses 10 through 20, Paul is really thanking the church at Philippi for their generosity, for supporting his ministry. And uh, in the midst of this thank you, Paul gives this promise in verse 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is because the church gave generously, then the promise is given that God will meet their needs. See? Because the church was generous, God will meet every need they have. 
And that got Paul all fired up. I mean, Paul basically had a meltdown, a good meltdown. And he had a time of worship uh, under house arrest. And George even joined in with him. You know, it's Thanksgiving Thursday. You know that, right? And, and uh, I, I know it's deer season, but I, some of you might be grieving for the deer. Hey, man, get over it. Get over it. We're in church. Come on. We're in church and God is here. And we're teaching his word. And it's alive, and it's life-changing. Come on! Man, it's good to be together in God's house. So, so Paul breaks out into praise in verse 20. And um, um, Shane Pruitt put it this way. You want to change your worship experience at church? Here's some guidelines. Pray before you get there. Ask God to speak to you. Listen to worship music on the way. When you guys come down Brandywine, just roll your windows down and crank it. Crank it, man. Take a Bible with you instead of relying on the screens. Don't run late. Here it is. Here it is. Sing loudly like you mean it. Huh? Sing loudly like you mean it. Take notes. I know you're doing that. And expect God to move. So that's all part of, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing. I'm going to participate. And I'm going to allow God to work in my life. Rick Warren wrote an article, How Bringing Grateful how being grateful improves your life. And, you know, again, it's Thanksgiving Thursday uh, and it's communion today. So I'm this ongoing of being thankful and grateful, thankful and grateful uh, should always be there, not just on special occasions. Rick says you can't read through the Bible and realize just how much gratitude means to God. There's over 400 Bible verses that reference either thanksgiving or gratitude. God expects gratitude to be the primary motivation behind everything in our lives. For example, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ Jesus... If you put your faith in him, then this should be the byproduct. You should be thankful in all circumstances. If you're not, then you could be grumpy. That's what Paul is saying. Scientific studies show the benefits to being grateful. One, gratitude improves our brain and physical health. Boy, do I need help there. Keep that brain fired up. So I will sing and be grateful. Proverbs 17.22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine. So you talk to your heart. Number two, gratitude creates happiness and joy. The happiest people that you'll run into are the people that are grateful people. 
You'll notice that. David wrote in Psalm 126.3, Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. You see that explanation point there? What does that mean? What joy. What joy. Oh, what joy. Mm. No, he says, what? What joy. Oh, can't contain it. What joy. Hey, man, I don't know what kind of Sunday school you grew up in, but when you read Jesus, and he sent out the 72, and they came back, and they were all fired up, man. Even the demons submit to your name. Jesus said, that's cool. That's cool, man. But you, what you should really get fired up about is that your names are written in heaven. And then... It says, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. You know what that word rejoice means in the Greek? It means he jumped up and down and he spun around. (laughs) So man, if Jesus can get fired up as his followers, so should we. Right? Come on! So... Gratitude pleases God and brings his blessing. Psalm 50, 23, the message puts it, it's the praising life that honors me. It's the praising life that honors me. Focus on the family. President Jim Daly um, wrote, giving thanks in times of trouble. If you're going through a difficult time, say, you know, we could say, I'm going to, I can't, I can't get excited about Jesus. I can't sing because I'm going through a rough time. We all go through rough times. Paul was in a rough time. You may not feel very thankful this holiday season, but thankfulness can be a healing light when life feels dark. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation that called the nation to a day of thanksgiving. At the time, neither Lincoln nor the American people had much reason to be thankful. Lincoln and his wife Mary were mourning the loss of their 11-year-old son Willie, who had died a year before. The country was embroiled in a bloody civil war that had claimed the lives of thousands of soldiers and wounded many thousands more. And yet, when Lincoln called for a national day of thanksgiving, he made a bold proclamation to the American people. He said, in the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, Our country has been filled with blessings which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. We're prone to forget. We're prone to become ungrateful. Tim Keller said, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. Paul's heart was knitted to these sacrificial givers and and he was worshiping the Lord out of gratitude. Um, St- 
Stephen Eldridge, he's, a, he's a, um, a dude in the ministry. He wrote to those who don't like to sing on Sunday, so you don't like to sing when you go to church. You're not really the singing type. You're quiet, introverted, stoic, like so many of you at Life Church. No, I understand. Not prone to outward displays of emotion. You don't wear your heart on your sleeve, singing loudly and expressively just isn't your thing. Neither is hand-raising or kneeling or any other outward display of, no, of emotion. But here's the thing. Those of us who don't want to sing to God are at odds with the rest of the universe. Yo. Psalm 19.1 declares that the entire creation is singing the splendor and glory of the wonder of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The birds begin every day with loud, deafening praise to God. The little lizard who lives under my desk, who can change colors in a flash, loudly declares, I was created by a brilliant God. The sun, which is so blazing hot in Florida, proclaims, look at what God hath wrought. And it's not just the creation that sings to God. All the angels declare the glory. We sang about that, didn't we? Hmm? The angels who fly around the throne of God have one constant refrain. They are calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The saints in heaven aren't silent either. Revelation 5, 11 and 12 gives us a sneak peek into the worship that's going on in heaven. They sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. As the saints behold the glory of the Lamb of God, they erupt in thunderous, overwhelming praise. There is no stoicism in heaven. There is no introversion. There's only loud, glorious, heartfelt praise. If all the universe sings loudly and passionately to God, maybe the problem is with us. When we don't feel like singing, the problem isn't a singing problem, but we have a seeing problem. If we could see God truly as he is, we would be utterly undone. We would be singing for joy, weeping in gratitude. If we saw Jesus in his resurrected, ascended glory, there would be no talk of, well, I'm more of a quiet type. So what should we do when we don't feel like singing? Two things. Before the Sunday worship begins, ask God to give you a fresh glimpse of God. And two, sing whether you feel like it or not. Snap out of it. That's a paraphrase. Right? Don't analyze whether you feel like singing. Instead, sing out of obedience, knowing that God is always worthy of our praise. That's good, man. That's good. And we can flip it. We could flip it as, you know, um, as Lincoln, who had this declaration of a national day of Thanksgiving, Jeremy Camp, his wife died, Melissa. And then in the hospital room, he said, I was on my knees and I remember her sister saying she is with Jesus now and a grief fell over me that I can't describe. The weight of her suffering is over, but the grief is she's gone. We always had worship music playing in the background. I remember the Lord speaking into my heart and saying, Jeremy, I want you to stand up and worship me. And I remember standing up and raising my hands in that hospital room. I remember not wanting to ask God why, but I finally did. And God always spoke to me. He said, Jeremy, I don't always want you to know why, because I want you to have a testimony of walking by faith. And I had written that song previously on our honeymoon, Walk by Faith. 
And I look at these songs that come from it, Walk by Faith, and I still believe. I wrote two weeks after Melissa went to be with the Lord. And I have seen story after story of God using this whole thing to show his faithfulness to encourage people. And when I get distracted, when I lose sight of what is going on, God will say, look at how many thousands I still believe. It's people that go through the fire and they continue to sing to the Lord. That gets your attention. And so Paul, even though he's chained up, he's worshiping, he's singing to the Lord. I want to encourage you, Life Church, those of you watching online, man, if you're if you're disconnected with singing, sing loud with passion. Ask the Lord even today, Lord, help me to tell you how great you are through music. And he will. Number two, I greet. Verse 21a, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul starts with himself, you know, so he's in this mode of, Greeting the church back at Philippi, 800 miles away. And when you look at this word greet, you think, well, greet, you know, what's that all about? Um, that, that's what it should look like, man. These dudes are fired up, right? It's not like I have to put my hand out there. Careful. You know, they're fired up about saying hi to each other, greeting each other. And that's the way it should be. That's the idea that Paul is conveying here to communicate the warmth and affection that he has for the church in Philippi. It's a strong word. It means to extend fervent love for them. And so this word greetings, hmm, it means to speak good of, to bless, to praise. You know what? This is a command. This is the only command in these closing verses. And Paul is really, he's saying, I give my greetings to each of God's people. And he's saying to the church that we should be giving our greetings to each other. Who all who belong in Christ Jesus. John 16, 27, another cool verse, man. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me. That's what Because you love me, Jesus is saying, my Father loves you dearly, and I believe and believe that I came from God. That word love is filial in the Greek. It means to love, regard with affection, to delight in, to cherish. That's the love that Jesus has for you. Isn't that amazing? And so Paul, again, the church, he's connected. 800 miles away, but he's connected. Hasn't been there in 10 years, but he's still connected. It's passionate about it because it's the church of the living God. It's the body of Christ. And so Paul says, man, because we're all part of the same body, we should be fired up about greeting each other. Yes, indeed. He says to each of God's holy people, he didn't say to all. So all would be corporate each means every single one. Paul could see, even though he's got a refrigerator in that room he's in, 
All those pictures from the people at Philippi, there's, there's not a group picture, it's one picture after another. Side by side, side by side, side by side. And Paul is saying each person in Philippi, in that church, they're valuable to me. Give each of them my greeting, personal greeting. Let's push the envelope a little bit. So even at Life Church, man, I'll be right there. Don't be in such a hurry to blow out of here at the end of the gathering. Look for people. Let them know they're important. Look them in the eyes. Speak life into them. We're so selfish, man. You know, I got to get here. I got to go over there. I got this to do. We're part of the body of Christ. Let's care for one another. And so, God's holy people, God's holy people, in the Greek, it means set apart ones, sanctified ones, holy ones. God's holy people, he says. Greet each of God's holy people. Now, you may not think of yourself as holy, but when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he took our sin out and replaced it with his righteousness. So when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Boom! It's not me trying harder, you know, trying to do all these good things to get on God's good list. Doesn't mean anything, man. It's when you put your faith in Christ because Jesus went to the cross. He died in your place and my place. When we put our trust in him, he takes, forgives all of our sin and pours all of his righteousness inside of us. And that's how we get to heaven, man. You can clap. Yeah, man. So we're set apart. Not, you know, we don't set ourselves apart. God sets you apart. He says, you're my trophy. 1 Thessalonians 23, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the other brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. See that word greet? There it is again. 1 Corinthians 1.30, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ, check this out, made us right with God. That word right is the righteousness of Christ. We're made right with him. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Right? And First Peter 1.15, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So, we're God's holy people. Whether you feel like it or not, God sees you as holy, which gives you the freedom to come into his presence at any time, any place. We can come boldly into his presence because he sees us as holy. The righteousness of God. Number three, we're racing through it. You greet. I greet, you greet. 
Verse 21b, the brothers who are with me send you their greetings. So Paul extends a second greeting. He first says, I greet you. Now my, the brothers, the dudes that are here with me, they're going to send greetings too. They're fired up. This underscores how important greeting with other believers is. The brothers, Paul, referring here, are Paul's special group of men. They're a special group of men who support him even while he's under house arrest. So, so Paul's under house arrest, but he could have guests to come in and visit him. And these are the men that, that he's talking about. These men will carry on the work after Paul dies, and they're supporting him. Literally, this is how it would read in the Greek, they are the with me brothers. They are with me brothers. The with me. I was thinking we could start another club here. The with me brothers club. What do you think? Somebody look into that. The with me brothers, man. Paul, you know, he's under house arrest. These brothers came alongside him. And you see, it was Timothy. It was Epaphroditus. Um, Paul, while he's under house arrest, he's writing letters to the church at Ephesus, Colossae. And he's writing a letter to Philemon. So all these, all these dudes, man, are coming and going. And there's about eight guys, man, that are part of that with me brothers club in Paul's life. Um, in the prologue of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, Colonel Hal Moore and Joe Galloway wrote this during the Vietnam War. Another war story you see, not exactly for on the more important levels, this is a love story told in our own words and by our own actions. We were the children of the 1950s, and we went there where we were sent because we loved our country. We went to war because our country asked us to go, because of our new president, Lyndon Johnson, ordered us to go. But more important, because we saw it as our duty to go. That is one kind of love. Another and far more transcendent love came to us unbidden on the battlefields as it does on every battlefield in every way man has ever fought. We discovered in that depressing, hellish place where death was our constant companion that we loved each other. We killed for each other. We died for each other. and We wept for each other. And in time, we came to love each other as brothers. In the battle. Our world shrank to the man on our left and the man on our right and the enemy all around. We held each other's lives in our hands and we learned to share our fears, our hopes, our dreams as readily as we shared what little else good came our way. It's always been that way. Real men need a band of brothers. It was that way in Vietnam in 1965 and it's that way today. Jay Baker's got a sweatshirt on, band of brothers, man. You need to say hi to him on your way out today. Say, let me look at that sweatshirt, a band of brothers. We need each other. Paul realized that. He had a group of men around him. 
You need a group of men around you. You need a group of women around you, ladies. To stay strong in the days that we're living. Father, we thank you this morning that we can greet each other, Lord, and we take it seriously as the Apostle Paul did. Help us to sing, Lord. Sing to you, to greet. What a privilege that is. And the brothers and the sisters around us, Lord, to greet. We thank you for that, Lord. And today, will you encourage us to move closer to you, not farther away? Help us to embrace you and not reject you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.